door. And we've actually added one new item to the blanket drive uh, is, uh, uh, what do you call them? Sleeping bags. Sleeping bags. So if you have any sleeping bags, new or gently worn, we'd love to hand those out as well. I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of, um, a lot of um, our homeless population are doing urban camping these days, and, and it would be great to provide them with some sleeping bags, a little bit more sustainable, uh, warm uh, sleeping situation. And so I have a couple more announcements. Uh, beginning, not, not this coming Wednesday or the following, but the one after that. I can't remember what the date is. That date. Um, we are uh, going to begin our Advent Wednesday nights. And what's going to happen on those nights during the Advent season is we're going to get together. We're going to have a meal. We're going to sing some Advent songs. We're going to talk about the Advent scriptures. And we're also going to light the Advent candle together. And so it's going to be an opportunity to just go through the Advent liturgy together on the four weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas. So we'd love to have you come. We're going to move the time up a few minutes to 630. Hopefully that helps with different transitions with bedtime and dinner time and things of that nature. And we'd love to have everyone join us. We've offered a Zoom option for just about everything so far, and it's not fantastic. I'm just going to tell you up front, it's going to be even worse for the Advent nights. So if you, know, if you want me to set my computer up somewhere on a chair and you watch us eat, that's fine, I'll do it. But I'm just being honest up front. It's gonna be really weird and not great. So if you want to, we'd love to have you join us for these four weeks. It's gonna be fantastic. Um, the Colts will have a big part of, uh, in leading this. Um, they've done it in their homes for a while and I was able to encourage them to come, let's do it together. At, at church on Wednesday night. So we'll be doing that um, beginning that first we can have an I need to get the exact date. December 1st. December 1st. Okay. I'm just going to say ben, Pastor Benjamin said that. So if it's, <laughs> if it's not right, you, you, go, you go with him. Um, but so I, I'm really excited about this. It's going to be fantastic. Next announcement, uh, our Bible study. Uh, we are continuing through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, this Wednesday night is going to be our final night in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's been a fantastic study. If you haven't joined us for a single other study, you are welcome to join us even for this last one. You don't have to have read anything or anything. And we continue to talk about curiosity being the thing that's fueling our study, just asking as many questions as we can about the text and seeing what God is doing uh, in his people back then and, and then what he's doing consequently. Uh, in our lives now through the text. So please join us Wednesday night. It'll be 7 p.m. It'll be right here in the building. Uh, we will wear a mask on this final night. Uh, going forward, we will continue to consider with the new mask guidance what we do. But this Wednesday night for the final one, we will still have a mask on. And it's very, it's very informal. We just get together. We just kind of circle up the chairs here and we just, we just chat about the scriptures. I'm usually wearing sweats or basketball shorts or something. So Feel free to come however you'd like and enjoy, enjoy our time together. Um, with all of that said, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Pastor Leon McKenzie. I serve as the pastor of teaching and preaching here at Redeemer. Welcome to service this morning. If you are a first-time visitor, I want to give you an extra, extra special welcome this morning. Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us. You'll notice in the seat backs in front of you scattered around a card that says welcome with this beautiful bright yellow coloring. We'd love for you to fill this out. Drop this off in the offering basket at some point during service. We'd love to have your information and connect with you, potentially take you out to coffee or lunch on us and just get to know you. And if nothing else, you get some free coffee or lunch out of us, which is always fantastic. 
Amen? All right, guys. Well, with no further ado, we'll jump into the sermon this morning. I have an apple pencil in my pocket. Um, we'll jump into the sermon this morning. Uh, we continue in the book of Mark with Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 23. And the title of the sermon this morning is When Persecution Comes. Um, there's some intentionality in using that, that word when instead of if. When persecution comes. One thing that history has taught us and one thing that the Bible teaches us is that in every facet of Christianity, wherever it has been found since its inception, actually beginning with its inception, the church has experienced persecution. Amen. The church has always been a persecuted institution. It began with the persecution and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something that I thought about this morning was pretty interesting. I wanted to get get us a definition for the word persecution for us to kind of dive into the sermon from. And uh, I remembered when I was a kid in church, one of the things that people would say to sound kind of smart is they would say, well, Webster's Dictionary defines such and such as. And I thought to myself, well, I'd like to sound smart. So Webster's Dictionary (laughs) defines persecution as causing to suffer because of belief. Causing to suffer because of belief. And, and so in this sermon this morning, one of the things I'm intentionally not doing is giving very specific um, uh, examples of what persecution or suffering for the sake of belief looks like. Not because I don't think it's, it's applicable, but simply because I want us to understand that persecution for our faith is very wide and varying. Okay? Um, it doesn't have to look like anything specifically. It can be as as grand as what we're going to talk about from the um, example of our text this morning. And it could be as small as just um, somebody at work stops talking to you. So I just want you to think about whatever it means for you to be be caused suffering or unrest because of the faith that we hold. Um, It can fit within the spectrum of of persecution. But either way, suffering for the sake of belief is what we call persecution. And here is the question we seek to answer with this sermon this morning. How would Jesus have us endure persecution or suffering for the sake of our belief? How would Jesus have us to endure this? Because like I said, it's not a matter of if we would experience it, but when. And so we're going to go from we're going to start with Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 23. And if just another point of uh, to think about, if you have in your mind exactly where I'm going with this sermon, just stop right there and just flush that out your mind. Right. If you're like, I know exactly where you're going, Pastor Mac, just stop right there and just go. No, you don't. All right. All right. And just open yourself up to what the Lord may share with you afresh in this text this morning. So Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 23. We'll read together, we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. And so beginning in verse 14, Jesus says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and and, and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. 
If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to get together with my brothers and sisters again this morning, to worship together, to hear the scripture read to us this morning, to pray together, and even now to have your word preached together, to hear from your word together this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you would grant us all open hearts, open minds, to receive what you want to say to us. And that you would grant us your grace to be as good soil and your word is that good seed that is sown. And that you would cause it to be effective and you would reap a harvest 30, 60, even a hundredfold time that which was sown. Whatever may be difficult to understand this morning that you want to communicate, make it plain. And however you would have us to, account, uh, to accomplish, to, to, to fulfill, to apply it in our life today, Lord God, grant us all the grace and courage and strength we need to do so. Forgive us, Father God, for where we fail to trust you. And Lord God, have mercy. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise, because indeed you are worthy this morning. Be with those who are at home worshiping with us via the YouTube feed. Be with our children. Grant them grace to still hear exactly what it is you are saying to them and grow them up as you would desire them to grow. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Indeed, you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I begin this morning by asking you a question about something that we all experienced to some degree. And the question is this. Where were you when you saw this? Where were you when you saw this? If you're old enough to remember September 11, 2001, I bet that you remember exactly where you were and exactly what you were doing when someone called you or or ran into wherever you were and said, turn on the TV. One of the Twin Towers was, was just hit by a plane. Right? I remember I was in my eighth grade math class, Mr. Black's class, and someone rolled the TV into the room. Remember when they had to roll TVs? Into, someone rolled the TV into the room and said, said, someone just, a plane just hit the Twin Towers. And I remember watching this on TV and thinking to myself, like, this is the end. This is it. Jesus is coming back. As we watched people jump from the building and fall from the building to their deaths. As we watched people fleeing for their lives through the streets of New York City only to be swallowed by this plume of dust and debris. Not, no, not sure whether they survived or not. It really felt like we were watching the end, didn't it? And when you think about the Twin Towers, when you think about those buildings, the wonders that they were. I remember one time my brother took me to the towers. His friend was working there and and he had to meet him for something. 
And I remember sitting at the bottom, and the bottom had these huge arcs. If you've ever been there, the, the entrance were just these huge, weird arc things. And you would look up from the bottom, and they were so massive that you, could, you couldn't even see halfway up the building. It was that incredibly huge. And when those towers, when those massive structures went down... The whole world felt it. Because this is America. Right, brothers and sisters? This is America. Our strong, unmovable, great nation. They represented the immensity and the stability of this country we call home. The unshakability of our great nation. And when they fell, the world quaked and was changed forever. Well, brothers and sisters, this is a similar feeling to what the disciples had at the beginning of chapter, at chapter 13 when Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple and one of them turns back and says, Teacher, look, look at these grand stones. Look at these marvelous buildings. Isn't this amazing? And Jesus, in response, looks at the same buildings and says, You see these buildings? Before long, not one stone will be laid upon another. Every single one of them will be laid waste. And it's important to understand what these buildings meant to the Jews. Saying this to them was like someone coming up to us before the Twin Towers went down and said, hey, before long, two planes are going to crash into these buildings and cause them to come tumbling down. It was unfathomable to think that, that such a thing could happen. There's no such way that there's no way that such a catastrophe didn't spend the end of the world. But Jesus goes on to explain to these Jews who understand this to mean the end of the world that this isn't the end of the world, but instead it's an end of their world. It's an end of their world that they've held on to and the world that they found so much comfort in. Essentially, he was saying that this would mean the end of, of temple Judaism. Essentially, what Jesus was hearkening to, the fact that Jesus is himself the end of the means that was temple Judaism. And so we won't get there today. We will get to this text in, um, as we go through Advent. Um, and so, but, but what Jesus does at, in verses 24 and after, he does speak about the end of time, and it's when he returns and comes back. But the reason Jesus tells them that is because he understands that when he speaks about the temple, their mind automatically goes to the end of time. And Jesus is trying to communicate to them that this is not the end of time I'm talking about. This is the end of the Jewish, of the Ju temple Judaism for which was pointing to me. So the end of Judaism is me 
And then the end of time is when I return. That's what he's trying. So we're not going to get there today, but understand that that's why Jesus says this. But here in this passage, he goes on now to explain the immense persecution, the incredible suffering that descends on Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. The year 70 A.D. when the Jews revolted against the Roman Empire that ruled over them and the emperor sent armies to descend on Jerusalem and the temple. And so Jerusalem and the temple went from this to this. And as you can possibly imagine, I worked really hard for the majority of this week on thinking about how to very, you know, in a detailed way, explain all the things that were involved with the destruction of the temple and what it meant to the Jews. And then I realized that I was just geeking out. And I realized that you guys probably would not be nearly as impressed with all of that stuff as I was. And so I thought to jump from here and ask ourselves a very honest and very important question for us today as we sit in church. And the question is simply this. What does what happened then mean for us today? As we sit on the brink of 2022 as Christians here in Atlanta, in this English Avenue neighborhood, what could what Jesus was telling them way back then, almost 2,000 years ago, what could it mean for us today? What application could it hold? And I think that essentially this passage, spe- this passage speaks to us about the issue of persecution. Specifically, how can we as Christians respond when our faith comes under attack, even such attack as these Jews experienced in 70 AD? How are we to respond when our faith comes under attack? And I think that Jesus offers some helpful guidance in verses 14 through 23. And just as an aside, this isn't a part of my notes. If you want to um, understand a little bit more of how incredibly tragic the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was in 70 A.D., you can read some of the account of Josephus. One of the things that Josephus was was an ancient uh, historian. One of the things he says about this was just incredibly, I mean, you just can't imagine it. He says that when they came into the city, they burnt the city with fire, as you see here. But they said that there was so many people killed in the city during this time that the blood that flowed through the city actually put the fires out. So when Jesus says that there's suffering coming upon the Jews that has not ever been experienced, even since the beginning of time, it's not an exaggeration. It's not an exaggeration. As you can tell, I was, I was geeking out about it. I was, I was reading a lot about it. If you want to, you can. But I think Jesus offers some helpful guidance for us when we experience persecution for the sake of our faith. And in verse 14, he makes reference to the abomination that causes desolation. And he says it's standing where it does not belong. And just to oversimplify, what Jesus means by that is simply whenever the Romans set themselves up in the Jewish capital, whenever they set themselves up in the temple, 
Okay, that's that's a little bit that's a little bit of hindsight being 2020. They don't understand when Jesus saying this, that it's going to be the Romans looking back. We can see what it means. But whenever they occupy that space, Jesus tells them, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 15, he says, let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. And what this says to us, brothers and sisters, when and if and when we are to experience persecution is simply this. Brothers and sisters, don't go back. Don't go back. When suffering comes, especially suffering that results from persecution for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the temptation will always be to try and find a way to avoid it. How can we take back what we've said? How can we, how can we change what we believe that was offensive, that's bringing this persecution, this, this ill ire towards us? What can we say or do to make people less angry with us or less angry with our church? And I know what some of us are thinking here this morning. Well, Leon, we have done things historically to, 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 to get people to be angry with us. We have made some mistakes. We haven't been as loving and kind as we can be. And brothers and sisters, you are right. You're 100% correct if you're thinking this. I think that one of the greatest compliments we could receive as Christians is when someone who's not a believer looks at us and says, when they find out that we're a believer, they're like, oh, wow, and they're shocked. Not because we've, you know, been really rude and angry, which I've been, I've been guilty of that, but more so because they're like, wow, you're so kind. You're so loving. And when they're shocked, when it's refreshing for them to know us as believers and followers of Christ. And I think, brothers and sisters, that we should go to great pains to have that kind of impact in the world. We should be the kind of people that people are just, they're refreshed with our love and our care and our concern for others. But what do we do when it isn't because of what we said or how we've said it or what we've done or how we've done it, but precisely because of whom we've put our trust in that they're upset? What do we do when it's simply because of what we believe, because of our convictions that they're angry with us? What will we do in those moments? And I think that we have a skewed perspective on persecution here in the States, and it's a blessing. We can worship together here in the open, and we're not afraid of anybody coming and dragging us off to prison as our brothers and sisters are experiencing in other parts of the world. But one of the things those brothers and sisters in those other parts of the world understand that we don't understand is that persecution or is not about what camp you're aligned with. Very often we think that we can avoid persecution because we can say, oh, we're not with that camp over there, right? We're not like those Christians. We're different. But our brothers and sisters all over the world that's experiencing persecution, they understand that the only qualification for persecution is a commitment to following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that qualifies you for for, for being persecuted. Not what camp you're aligned with or what camp you're aligned against. And something that affords us 
that allows us to be able to avoid persecution is more than likely something that contradicts that commitment. I want us to understand that when we assume that we're above receiving persecution because of how great we are, because of what we don't do or what we do, think about what that says about Jesus. Because Jesus, being who he was, still accrued the kind of anger from the people that ultimately caused them to kill him. Are we saying then that we're doing something better than he is? Listen to what Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. And what this tells us, brothers and sisters, is that persecution better serves us as an indication of what we're getting right about this Jesus thing versus what we may be getting wrong. Again, I'm going to say this over and over. It doesn't mean that we don't strive to be as loving and as kind as we can possibly be in this world. That's the call of the gospel. However, it does mean that we commit to staying the course not deviating, not going back whenever we find persecution coming for the sake of the one we trust in. Amen? Amen. And so the second thing that Jesus says this morning is, he says, pray. In verse, in verse 18, he says, pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequal from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. In other words, what Jesus is saying to us in 2022 is pray to be able to endure the persecution or, or pray that the persecution will be endurable. Not that it won't happen. Not that it won't happen, but that we will be able to endure. And I want you to hear me. I said this earlier. Persecution, brothers and sisters, is the foundation of our faith. We have a Christian faith because Jesus was killed for truth. Amen? Christianity began because the powers that be tried to snuff Jesus, our Savior, out. And in every age of the church, brothers and sisters, wherever the church has been found in history, there has been persecution for the name of Christ. We ought not assume that we will be spared. And if we are, that's likely an indication of that we're not doing this thing right versus that we're doing it right. It's reasonable to expect persecution. And we ought to pray to be able to endure it faithfully. And lastly, Jesus tells us, he says this, he says, be on your guard against false messiahs. In verse 21, Jesus warns, he says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, 
here was the Messiah, or look, there he is. Do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. In other words, brothers and sisters, in times of suffering and persecution, we will be tempted to follow alternatives to the truth. We will be tempted to follow alternatives to the truth, the truth that we believed. And I just want to say again, I feel like such a sermon like this requires many caveats as I, as, as I, can, as I can. I am in no way trying to justify toxic or unhealthy Christianity or faith. I understand that the things I'm saying, the words I'm using, have been used to justify toxicity and unhealthy faith. I understand that, brothers and sisters. And I want you to know that as one of your pastors, I can speak for myself and our other pastors, that we take very seriously the charge to guard against toxic and unhealthy church culture here. We want this culture to be as healthy as it can possibly be. But me saying the things that I'm saying this morning, understand that it's in this exact same vein. It's because I take this so seriously that I'm saying this this morning. We have to hold on to what we know is pleasing to God, despite what the outside may say about it. We have to. When we feel the heat for something that we believe or we do or we support as, as Christ followers, we will be tempted to abandon what we've believed for what will cause us less trouble. That's just part of it. We will. And before you think that you know exactly who or what I'm talking about, hold up. Put the brakes. Because it's not that simple. You see, Jesus spoke truth to every level and every facet of society. Okay? Jesus spoke truth to every facet and every level of society so that when persecution came his way, it came from every angle. Jesus got it from all sides. It wasn't just the Jews, but it was the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans and the liberals and the conservatives and the religious and the irreligious. Every facet of society had a hand in putting the Lord Jesus Christ to death. Jesus got it from the right, he got it from the left, and he got it everywhere in between. The thing about following Jesus, brothers and sisters, that we have to come to grips with is that we will not be able to find a comfortable home in any of the circles or on any of the sides as long as we're following him. Christ is the home of the believer and Christ is the reason that persecution comes our way. And we must be on guard against anything that offers us a home anywhere else but the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Be on your guard against false messiahs, against false hopes, because Jesus is the only one who saves. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but for me, if he's the one saving and I got to suffer for it, then so be it. Then so be it. Brothers and sisters, what we learn from this passage this morning is that suffering by way of persecution is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
It comes our way at some point and to some degree. And in the face of persecution, Jesus commands that we do not go back, but we stay the course. Pray for the endurance to persevere through persecution. And all the while, brothers and sisters, be on your guard. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And I believe from where I stand that this was a difficult thing to hear. And it was definitely something difficult to share. But I pray, Lord God, that you would cause it to land on hearts that are good soil. And Lord God, that as we turn our hearts to communion, Father, with all that is said about persecution coming our way, our hearts would rest very deeply and grounded, Father God, in the hope of eternal life that is ours in our our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you the glory and the honor because indeed you are worthy of all praise, our God and our Father. Amen. Amen. As we turn our hearts towards the table, towards the place where we remember the Lord's suffering and how it fits into our lives, we begin this time by silently confessing our sins. So right where you